From the Jesuits of Canada and the United States, this is AMDG. I'm Mike Jordan-Lasky. Jesuit father Alan Fogarty went in for his interview for the CEO job at Salt and Light Media, an international Catholic TV network and media company based in Toronto. He tried to tell the powerful people in the room why he might not be the person they were looking for. Thankfully, they didn't listen to him at all, and Father Fogarty started the job in August. After talking to him last week, I can see why he was chosen. Father Fogarty doesn't have a traditional media background, but he radiates energy and bold vision, traits that served him well in his previous stops as the president of St. Paul's High School in Winnipeg, Canada, and as the president of the Gregorian University Foundation in Rome. We need more compelling, high-quality, balanced Catholic media in the worst way. And hearing his hopes for salt and light got me so excited to watch them continue to grow in the months and years to come. You can subscribe to AMDG wherever you get your podcasts, and thanks for joining us. Father Alan Fogarty, welcome to AMDG. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, Mike. Thank you for inviting me to be part of your podcast. I I look forward to what we're going to explore today. Yeah, so I'm excited to talk to you about uh, a job you've had for for not too long, just a handful of months, uh, leading Salt and Light Media in uh, based in Toronto. Is that right? Yes, uh, we have an office in Montreal, and we are also set up in the United States. Uh, we're uh, we have a 501c3 in the state of New York, and so um, those three those three cities at this point and. Um, I think eventually we'll see maybe something else. We'll get into uh, a little bit about what Salt and Light is doing, but first, maybe if you could just start by telling me a little bit uh, about yourself and uh, your background. Okay, well, I grew up in Nova Scotia, and I'm the ninth son in a row, and I have two sisters younger. And um, when I was in my early 20s, I started contemplating entering the priesthood and eventually ended up here in Toronto. I was working and and uh, from here I I met actually Archbishop Terence Prendergast from formerly of Ottawa just recently. He's now in uh, helping out in the diocese in the north in Canada. And um, he took me on as his directee, introduced me to the vocation director and so things went from there. And so I entered the Jesuits in Guelph, Ontario. Uh, from my time in Toronto. And so, yeah, I, I think grew up in a very large family, played the bagpipes and um, was uh, very much into that culture for a long time. And as university and so on kind of took over practicing that instrument, which is we know is not discreet, <laughs> was not an easy thing. So uh, I can say, I think now that I, maybe used to play the bagpipes. Yeah, so. <laughs> you never know. You could always uh, you know, bring bring those back for a special occasion, maybe. I mean, that's uh, a, a good thing to have in the, the pocket as something to, to offer. Right. Um, <laughs> though, uh, so I'm just curious about, so life with that type of, can you describe like what your childhood was like at all with that, that number of kids running around? It's like the youngest boy too of that many. <laughs> yes, it, it was um, really quite something. The first uh, eight are about a year apart. And then wow. there's four years between my brother and me, 
less than a year later, my sister and two years after her, the youngest. And uh, it was uh, a very active place, let's just say. And uh, I remember that one group of brothers would be in one bedroom and they'd be playing this kind of music. Another group would be in another bedroom and they'd be playing something different. And then my parents would have music on and, and so on. It was just, it was music everywhere. And, um, and that was okay by me because, uh, you know, I'm, and, and I guess I'm like that today. So yeah, I have music everywhere, but it was a very active um, household. And of course, you know, we um, didn't have a lot of means. And so we, we were, we struggled in, in that way. And so I had to overcome a lot of things, but um, uh, my mom, uh, who is, is struggling right now with her own health uh, issues, um, it was really amazing. How she did what she did with what she had uh, is really a surprise, I think, of the way we live today. And I think, uh, you know, we can do with so much less. But uh, anyway, she was um going nonstop when breakfast was done and we were off to school, the laundry was going and then lunch was being prepared. And then when that happened, dinner was being prepared. I don't know how she did it. When you, uh, when you entered this society, was that a surprise to your, your family or um, did it seem to make sense based on, uh, you know, them, them knowing you from a young age? I think they, uh, I was an altar boy when I was a kid, but they, um, I think basically with where I was thinking I might be going in university, it was a bit of a surprise to them and perhaps as much as it was to me. I just remember I, be, I became a daily communicant at St. Francis Xavier University in Antigonish, Nova Scotia, where I'm from. And uh, well, I'm from Stellarton, but Antigonish, Nova Scotia. And um, I just kept going to mass every day. And then this thing just seemed to develop. And and I don't like to say, you know, that I got a tap on the shoulder by God, but I was I was walking from the chapel of the uh, Sisters of Charity in Halifax at Mount St. Vincent University where I was studying, leaving the chapel, walking down to class. And it was really just like that. It was just like, um, you should be a priest. And, and I was alone and I'm thinking, what? <laughs> where did that come from? And uh, from whom? And so uh, I kind of responded and was, almost as I remember it, was kind of talking to myself, at least in my head, perhaps not aloud. And um, it was like, you know, I think you should pick someone else, not me. And uh, I have plans. And so uh, that was uh, maybe the first big time in my life where I had plans and other things happened. We could talk about another moment uh, when I was supposed to be on sabbatical this time last year. <laughs> so we, we could talk about that. That was another time where I had plans, and uh, that's not right. what happened. So yeah, between uh, between those those plans being maybe uh, led different ways by the spirit. What, so what have you been? Uh, what have you done since then? Before kind of starting in this current role, what has been your uh, your different ministries as a Jesuit? Well, after the novitiate, I went to Spokane to study philosophy and from there went to teach high school in Winnipeg at St. Paul's High School and was there for three years and was involved with many things and started Christian life communities at the uh, at the school and from there went to Toronto to study theology and after ordination went back to Winnipeg to St. Paul's College at the university for a year and then back to St. Paul's High School for the second time 
uh, for a year and a half. I was working with the president and he, who was building a new wing onto the school. And so he asked me if I would help manage the capital campaign. And <clears throat> excuse me, although it wasn't my first fundraising adventure, it was my first sort of significant one. And I did that for a year and a half and then moved to Chile, where I was for eight months in tertianship, the final phase of formation, formal formation for Jesuits. And uh, from there, went to San Francisco, to the University of San Francisco, and did a, a master's in high school administration, leadership type stuff. And then we moved to Montreal for four years. And there I was chaplain, teacher, directed all the retreats and director of Ignatian development. I was on the board of governors, the board of owners. And uh, after four years was uh, assigned to St. Paul's High School for the third time, but this time as, uh, as the president. And so I uh, was there for seven years. Um, that was a very exciting time. And again, pe people sometimes would ask me, well, uh, how long were you at St. Paul's High School? And I said, seven years, but they got 14 out of me because <laughs> I did, I think I did two shifts every day and it was intense because we, we did a, a project that was the, the, the biggest the school had ever seen. The previous one that I worked on, the expansion of the Angus Reed wing was a capital project of 3 million. And this, this one was really 14 and, and so it was it was a very different thing. <laughs> so and it was right after the stock market crash in 2008 that we started raising the money. And but we we're successful. Yeah. And from there, you ended up in in Rome eventually. Right? I did. Yeah. From there, it was like the, uh, you know, some people might say the the call from Rome came. And, uh, you know, I remember I remember thinking like as a Jesuit to to aspire to something is is kind of not done. It's a no, no. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, and when I was asked to do this and I interviewed and finally um, the process, you know, was completed and the announcement was made, some of the parents said to me, there are three in a row, like within a couple of days, and they said, Father, did you aspire to that job? And I said, uh, no, and I was kind of taken aback the first time, but the second and third time, I was ready. And so I said, no, I, you know, to aspire to something, you have to know about it first. And I said, I didn't know about this Gregorian University Foundation. And uh, so I said, how could I aspire to that? And and so, yes, I, I finished the year at St. At Paul's High School in June of 2013 and was on a sort of sabbatical till January 1st of 14. It started then and finished last year. So your, your background in that job, too, was working on a lot of development things and helping people kind of learn about the mission and, and engage with it. And so from from there to, to a media job, leading a, a big media company and a growing one, um, how does that journey happen? I, well, you know, I'm still asking myself the same question. So it, we might as well go live with this and, um, and record it. I don't, I don't know. I just was uh, finishing the job in, with the Gregorian University Foundation. And uh, January 1st of last year was starting a, a sabbatical that would go till till August or so. And 
was a very generous sabbatical. And this is the second time, you know, where I had plans. And so I went to Milan in in February, and that may sound crazy. It probably was. It turned into a red zone, as you know. And I was, after two weeks, escaped through Vienna and landed in Montreal and onto Winnipeg, where I spent basically the rest of my sabbatical in an apartment. So not quite the um, uh, what I had mapped out. And, <clears throat> you know, the joke that, that it says, you know, if you want to make God laugh, tell God your plans. And so that's what happened. And uh, so where where I ended up in the, in the process or during that time, the provincial of Canada was in contact with me because I was returning from the Roman delegation to my Canadian province, uh, home province. And <clears throat> excuse me, he said, well, let's meet in person and uh, get to know each other a little bit as we start to talk about your next assignment. And I said, okay, that sounds good. And and I don't know, a few weeks later, he wrote me and said, um, did you know that Salt and Light is looking for a CEO? And I said, well, yes. And he said, okay, I think they're looking at you. And so that's kind of how it went. And <clears throat> then, you know, two weeks later, he, he wrote me again and uh, said, they are looking at you. And I said, well, if you're telling me that, then I guess <laughs> you're inviting me to engage in the process. And so that's what happened. I was, um, I was in Canada and started the interview process. And um, I, I, I was honestly thinking that I, I could, um, could have done a pretty good job of convincing them that it should be someone else. And um, it seemed like when I did that, it, it just worked in the other direction. So um, here we are. And I have to say, I, I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about what Salt and Light is. First of all, folks might not be familiar. I guess you have probably haven't flown on too many airplanes chatting with someone sitting next to you. But uh, if you were and they were to ask you about what, what Salt and Light is, how, what's your quick um, description? And then, yeah, maybe a little bit about what specifically you're working on there. Well, it's a it's a television network in Canada. It's a Catholic television network in Canada. It's the only one. And uh, we have all the other social media platforms as well. And so we're, we're communicating, we're evangelizing through media. We're bringing Jesus Christ to the world and um, in the best way we can. And of course, these days, like somebody said something to me the other day and they, uh, I forget what the question was, but my response was, I, I have no idea because I have not had one day at Salt and Light that hasn't been in COVID. So how things are working and how they normally work, I really don't know yet. They're, we're working from home. It's a tough situation. And, you know, the producers are working on materials, trying to generate um, new things and to keep uh, abreast of what's happening in the world and to bring hope, which is our part of our mission and our focus to those who are connected to us and to bring new people, but it's all done by Zoom and, you know, producing and getting the the teams out into, you know, various scenarios is just not really happening much. And, and especially now in Toronto, we're under a kind of an enhanced uh, lockdown. And so people are staying at home and doing the best we can. So you're, you're again, your background, though, it's not like uh, you weren't a, a journalist 
uh, doing some of this stuff, working as a producer of, of other things before falling, you know, into this position. Um, I'm just interested in what, uh, why do you think they were interested in you? What do you bring? What have you learned so far? I'm just yeah, curious of what your take has been in your first handful of months in this new, very new uh, type of ministry. Well, I think part of it is the administration side, because I did run a high school for seven years and had you know, a fair bit of success there. And, and again, much of that seven years was organizing a campaign. The school had done two years work on a strategic plan. And when I arrived as president of the school, they, they gave it to me and said, here are the eight objectives. And I agreed with those, except for there, we talked about two buildings instead of one that got built. And, you know, it's Winnipeg is a, it's not a huge city. The previous campaign was 3 million. The building that, uh, that we built was 14 or so. And so it was a, it was a big leap. And um, so I think the fundraising is an important aspect the administration, how to motivate people, get a team going. As you can imagine, working in media, the communication within the operation is very important as well as what we broadcast. And so how do we how do we do that? How do we get funding for that? And and again, that's that's a, a kind of thing that I'm learning. Who were the supporters in the past? Who can be supporters in the future? looking through Canada and uh, of course now into the United States because we are going to expand into the US to look for people who will see this ministry as an important service to the church where we can bring a balanced view to what's happening and and bring the messages of hope and and goodness and and about Jesus Christ to to people, to the viewers, to those who are faithful and listening and maybe inspire those who have fallen away and, and so on. So, you know, those are kinds of things. And I think it's working and it's not, again, just me, it's, it's the team because uh, right now we have a very, we have a very interesting, smart, good team. What has been the, one of the most surprising things maybe that you've encountered in your, your first handful of months? I think, I think the most surprising thing is, you know, Salt and Light is is only really 17 years old, so it's it's young. Um, but I think maybe one of the most surprising things is how, after 17 years, and all the good work that has been done, and there has been a lot, and because we have the archives, we have all the the documentaries, everything, the stuff that's been done, we have it in archive, and how really there's still such a great need to become better known. And so, you know, we're making efforts in that direction. And, and again, I have to meet people and going out and I sit in front of the, the computer, maybe seven or eight hours, some days and many days. And I'm thinking there has to be more to life than this. And there is, and it's post COVID and during that time, I, you know, hope to be basically going on the road and meeting people in person. So we just need to do that and get the word out and to see, you know, systematically, how can we uh, bring salt and light to others, engage them in our mission so that we collaborate and also 
to to really let people know and um i don't know i'm not trying to pitch for the campaign here but um you know we're, we'll eventually have to have a campaign but um that people know that this is a really a service we are a nonprofit, and we can't do it without their support and we need big donors we need people to come in because it, it costs a lot of money to produce stuff especially the television to send producers out on the road and the equipment is you know it's always everything has to be upgraded and uh, kind of maintained. And so that's kind of the, the big thing for me is like, here it is, done many things. And as I watch some of the stuff, I'm thinking, this is really great. It's very well done. And I think some of the documentaries um, that Sebastian Gomes did, who's at America now, he, he did the, the Francis Effect and the Francis Impact and he also did um, Magisterium of the People. It's really great. And working on, um, well, Pope Francis himself in the first two and in the, the other on uh, the people of Appalachia and the mining that went on there and how it affected them. And so that all kind of ties into Pope Francis' um, encyclical Laudato Si, which is very important to us. So when you sit down to think about the messages you want to deliver to people you could bring into the mission as donors or supporters or people to help get the word out. Um, what, what were some of the, those things you were learning? Like, oh, I want these to be kind of some of the top points I lead with and I want to make sure people understand about us. Right. And I, I think, you know, coming into something like this, and it is very new to me, but not really, like you're, you're, uh, you're picking up stuff as you, as you go along. And we're so media driven in our world that uh, you'd have to be kind of asleep not to be aware of it. But going into it, I think be, being a priest, you you feel sometimes, um, okay, a little bit tired about the, the abuse issues. It's like, okay, yes, I'm not denying any of that. It happened, I'm sure. And some didn't happen that people say happened and some happened and people have no idea. So it's all kinds of stuff, not denying that, just being tired of it and saying, okay, in response to that, um, it would be what's right with the Catholic Church? So I'm looking at Salt and Light saying, here's this platform. We can do many things. What are we going to seek to try to bring out and bring to people to bring hope and inspiration? And so part of that is what's right with the Catholic Church? The second thing is, and they're connected, of course, is what's good in the world? Because so much time, like today, people are down on the church and they're down on the world. People are not realizing or not admitting or not living out of an attitude or disposition that is uh, appreciative of creation and the beauty that's there and you know if there's we're wrapped up in other things maybe and um so sometimes i had negativity and so on it's like hey come on this is there's there are things that are right with the church and good in the world and the third thing is you know looking at anyone but perhaps with a particular emphasis on young people because we are uh, quite uh, concerned and, and focused on young people in different areas, saying, well, what makes the human spirit soar? So it's a, these are simple questions. They are simple, but when you start looking at them and you start saying, okay, let's have these organize our thinking in keeping in line with 
aligning with the Catholic social teaching, and then say Pope Francis' recent encyclicals, uh, Laudato Si and uh, Fratelli Tutti. Well, there's a dialogue. There's there's there are possibilities. The the spectrum is very wide there, and and so I kind of look at taking those basic points and then of course the apostolic preferences of the society of Jesus. And so as they all, those kind of different sectors or points are in uh, dialogue with one another, we can say, we can identify, this is a story that we want to do. This is a story we, we don't really want to do. Somebody else can do that. We want to focus on these things because we want to bring, um, Examples of where people are really doing things that are making a difference with and for other people. So I know of some, like a, a cardinal who is in Rome, and, and I don't know what people generally think about cardinals, uh, what they do and, and that sort of thing. This cardinal, for example, was aware that there was a situation after a flood in Africa. Thousands of people in this area were going to be affected because the water table was um, was messed up from the flood and didn't have potable water. Through a connection, he met a young person who makes water filters. The person was contacted and he said, well, can we get X number of those? I forget what the number is to this place in Africa. The, the, the inventor of this said, um, It'll be a nightmare with customs. Well, the Cardinal worked on that. And in no time, pallets of those water filters were in the hands of those people. It changed their immediate situation, which was dire. So I'm thinking, you know, I, I, I will have an, a meeting with that, uh, an interview with that Cardinal coming up uh, on Fra, Fratelli Tutti and on uh, Laudato Si. But I'd also like to talk to him and say, you know, can we tell that story? Because here's maybe what people have in mind about a, a Cardinal, but uh, big meetings and, you know, it's Rome and, and whatever else they have on their mind. And I'm thinking, that story of what he did for those people in Africa who are already struggling, perhaps, is an amazing story. And he just made it happen. He moved very swiftly and used his, his, his position properly and beautifully to change the life of those people. So, yeah. I want to follow up on, on something you mentioned uh, there, talking about how people might not feel that connected with the good the church is doing or the good in the world. We see statistics in the US and Canada, for instance, not to even mention Europe, but around youth and young adults, especially kind of falling away uh, from the church, pretty rapid rates. Um, so just wondering why you think that might be any sources of that from your working with young people, especially, but then also like what roles do you think Catholic media can play in maybe stemming or even reversing that tide? Well, I've said to people, you know, here and there, and probably mostly my team, uh, that it'd be really great if one day we heard that young people were texting each other, chatting with each other, saying, whoa, did you see that thing last night on Salt and Light? Wow, man, it was amazing. You know, so whatever it is, that's going to hit them. So the concern about young people leaving the church, I think it's always been the concern. 
if there is a concern, uh, as a person who worked in high schools, I'm thinking the concern needs to be addressed. Now, young people can do things among themselves. Where is the guidance with the young? And so how can we as adults offer something to them? Because in my experience, even though at times they may do their very best, and perhaps we were like that when we were young, resist these kinds of things. Well, because, you know, it's not cool to be interested in Jesus, maybe. It's not cool to be religious. It's because it might be considered as, well, you know, uncool or nerdy. And so people want to be cool in adolescence. Uh, we all know it's a struggle during adolescence just to kind of get by sometimes. And so what is it that we're doing? Because I think if we look, you know, if, if people look at saints and they say, well, uh, what, what were they in that time? Well, they were something that responded to that moment. They found a language. They found uh, a work. They found a way to communicate to people. They brought people around them often. And those people were changed by them, by their insights, by their way of life, and so on. And I'm thinking, what is that today? What is the language? What is it that we should be doing that gives an example to the young people to inspire them? And so that's why I say what makes a, your, the human spirit soar. Well, if we don't expose young people to beautiful things and beautiful people who did amazing things in the world, then whose fault is that? It's ours. Can we say, oh, well, they should have gone and Googled that. I'm going, nope. <laughs> they don't. Why would they do that? They Google, you know, the latest pair of running shoes or something. I don't know. That sounds Jesuit to me, just in, you know, thinking of the early Jesuits, even who were kind of who shot out to all over the world into new places and learning new cultures and sharing the, the gospel within that culture, or even identifying where they saw the work of Christ already at work uh, in those cultures, not necessarily imposing God on or Christianity on them from the outside. And in some, some ways, a similar mission field today. Uh, so I'm just wondering, like, what are some of the strategies Salt and Light is using to reach some of those people? I know we all want to reach them, right? We want to like break through the the noise to kind of reach some of those folks, and that's what we do at the Jesuit conference too. Is like, how do we, how can we actually reach people? What are some of the strategies uh, you all are using to to kind of find some of those audiences who might not naturally be tuning in? Well, for one thing, it's what do the youth need? It's not me as uh, at my age saying this is what they need. They need to tell us or start to tell us what they need. So Salt and Light began from uh, World Youth Day in Toronto just after that. And it kind of developed with a concern for young people. Came out of uh, World Youth Day. And that's why it's called Salt and Light, because that was the theme of the World Youth Day in Toronto. And so we hire young people. We have them as the protagonists who are on television, who are in podcasts, who are doing the work. The idea is that the needs of young people will start to emerge from there. So what we'll do moving forward and with, with my, myself here, because you know I, I worked in uh, high schools and was so impressed by the 
energy that young people have, their interests, what they're exposed to today that we did not have in my hometown growing up. I'm sorry, we just didn't have the world at our disposal through uh, internet and and to travel and so on that people do so much more today. It was such a narrow life in in Stellarton, Nova Scotia. But but now there's so much going on. How do we bring them together? How can we start focusing on that? We will do that, and we will start engaging more young people. We have a program that. Uh, we cooperate with the Canadian government on, and they they sponsor positions in in the summer for employment. And we're in the process right now of looking at young people. They put the limit between 15 and 30, I believe it is. Okay, so we're we're looking what positions can we hire strategically, and the hope is that they will come who want to do media in the future. So they'll come and learn from us and then maybe return or we'll hire them. We've done that um, many times. People have come in for summer positions and they were good, very good, and we kept them. So one of the other challenges you have to navigate as a Catholic media company is uh, kind of, well, generally perspectives on the media uh, well, trust in the media is low, right? Trust in the church is low. Trust in the media is low. You're bringing those things together. And especially we have this very tribal media now, especially here in the US. I imagine it's similar in Canada to an extent, but you have within the church, I think kind of reflecting the quote unquote secular media, things get lumped into categories as either liberal or conservative or traditionalist or Vatican II, whatever that means. But I'm just wondering, like, how do you accept those distinctions? What is, how is Salt and Light trying to navigate um, those divides? Well, I, I think you have to be obviously aware of them and being aware of them, try to figure out what your stand is and then execute. So if you, I think it's very easy to get wrapped up in what one party thinks or what another party thinks or who's conservative or who's liberal and who's considered all these categories you can say that yeah um i think in any one time you're we would say that we're we're trying to hit a more balanced perspective sometimes we may be a little bit to the right sometimes we may be a little bit to the left on depending on the issue but we want to stay within a standard deviation (laughs) from the norm you know from the median and um to try and avoid for example, if uh, if there's one pontiff, that that pontiff is is considered by the secular media and even uh, Catholic media, religious media, that to be A, B, C, D, whatever those characteristics are, and then everybody responds and all of that, and you're either for that pontiff or not, and it's become quite pronounced with the current pontiff, and um, who is who is trying to do many things, as we know. And so if you say, well, we're more in support of Pope Benedict, or we're more in support of John Paul II, or, you know, there hasn't been a real Pope since Pius XII. You know, so if you're starting to think those ways, it's like, what are, what are we doing today? And uh, are you saying that the current pontiff doesn't really understand what's happening, that his advisors are ill-advised and they're, you know, so 
um, there's a lot of good in the world. And again, we want to seek what's good and what's and what's right. And that again is like, well, who are you to say what's right? Well, I think what we do is we we will do is present what is good and what's inspirational. What we would we would say we would think is inspirational, and and allow others to to make their their own judgments. And hopefully, what we can do is present more than one position. So if we're interviewing someone, for example, hopefully we're interviewing two. And so this this person is of of this thing of this mind. And the other is of a different position, different mind. And so what we would like to do as Salt Night is to engage the viewers and those who are exposed to us on uh, social media. We want to engage them in uh, the dialogue that will take place between the two different positions on the same issue and allow those people to articulate what they believe and hopefully engage the viewer to uh, to make up their own mind and but to have their own mind and to have an opinion instead of uh, thinking perhaps you know that or condemning somebody because somebody else said that they should you know so hopefully we can we can reach people that way and um, and have some critical thinking happening whenever I hear someone say like you know, there's only one way of thinking about a certain thing within the church. I think about like what Peter and Paul <laughs> would say to that, having uh, argued it out some uh, in their own time. Yeah, yeah, and and Paul and Barnabas, you know, they were big buddies, but um, well, you know, and again, it's it's like the people that we have in our heritage that we can point to in our traditions that are, you know, how did what did people think of the prophets when they popped up? You know, Jeremiah, for example, he was he was quite a character. And what about this Solomon? And then Jonah. Jonah's running through Nineveh and he's he's proclaiming this message that God gives him. Well, you know, they say the city was quite big. And um, here is this guy running through there with this message from God. Well, um, you know that how would that work today? What would we think? You know, so, yeah, I just think of how, how it is that we can get through to people. And that's a constant struggle every day. You mentioned, again, the, the challenges trying to create things in the midst of the pandemic. And I'm wondering, though, if there has been anything that's come out from Salt and Light in your time there that you're excited to share with people to say, hey, look, this is us at our best. This is us finding the good in the church and the world and delighting the spirit. And uh, are, there, are there any of those pieces uh, of content you think of right away? They, there are like a couple of the producers did uh, a show, Hope from Home. And so that was from all around the world, interviewing people and uh, kind of seeing what they were saying and kind of offering messages of hope. And, and uh, there was a song that was done with, um, um, and I'm blanking on the name of the song at the moment. And uh, anyway, it was a, a number of artists were, were, uh, performing on this, you know, you've probably seen the format where um, several people are on the screen and they're they're singing one verse and another. It's a Dan Shooty song, and um, that that has, I think, it's approaching two million hits. We're getting people asking us if they can use it for their church services and and that sort of thing. So it was it was just a message of hope through music. And, and from there, 
we will probably look to be doing something around music in in the future and um, hopefully getting some uh, good Catholic artists who um, who are not necessarily afraid of saying that they're Catholic. For example, I reached out to um, Harry Connick Jr. on LinkedIn. We connected on LinkedIn and then I sent him a message and I said, you know, this is what I am, this is what I, who I am, what I do. And I said, you know, how about connecting sometime? And we were going to do it. It didn't, it didn't happen. But um, he, he's a graduate of Jesuit High School in New Orleans, for example, and uh, is fantastic as an artist. And he, he had this little uh, YouTube session. It's like um, just talking about what's going on during the, the pandemic. And I was thinking, why don't we maybe collaborate on that? That's what I was going to propose him. So maybe if he's listening to this, he'll, he'll, <laughs> he'll call me now and say like, oh, yeah, this guy was serious. I thought he was a crackpot from LinkedIn. So, you know, <laughs> I, I think what, what we, you know, maybe a way of, of communicating with young people is, is to show them that there are people who are very talented. There are people who are very considered normal, um, who, who are religious, who have a deep faith life, but also have some other talents and, and saying, okay, these are things that are part of the life in general. So how do we bring it all together? There is a question I always like to ask people who are involved in leading organizations, especially ones that are hoping to grow and to to do new things, which is if you were 10 times bolder than you are at Salt and Light, like what would you be doing differently? What would that look like if you were 10 times bolder? Okay, 10 times bolder would mean that we had 10 times more money. Right. Okay. So that's a starting point. It's like we're saying, you know, but some people would say, like, when you talk about these these various factions, like, well, the right and the left and this and that. I'm saying, okay, well, it seems that traditionally, now these are just kind of facts, but maybe not always the case, you know. So I'm going to generalize and maybe uh, try to get a point across by trying to avoid generalizations while I'm generalizing. But um, you would say the the right, the right is kind of focused. And they have they have goals and they want to maintain this and that and and protect things. And so what they'll do is they'll put they'll put their financing behind it, and they will make things happen. So for whatever it is, that's what they do. And then you would have what I think people are calling the progressives. And so who are they? You know, I'm thinking the progressives is like, uh, is it only the people who are considered the ultra conservatives who are of means and the progressives are not? That's not the case. Um, so I kind of think progressives stand up. Start doing with your resources what you think you should be doing and get behind things that are going to bring a balance. So for me, I would uh, say we need to be quite systematic and consistent with our our fundraising efforts. And then start saying, well, and this has already really begun. We're looking at the salt and light before I arrived and, and certainly my whole time has been looking at uh, OTT apps. So Amazon Fire and Roku. So that's, we're gonna make that available. All of our content's going to be there. And uh, well, the important, bigger things will be there. It's like all of it, it's not possible, but um, we'll make that available um, for a, a monthly fee. People can participate that way. We start kind of expanding 
beyond the borders of Canada through those apps. So if beyond Canada to the US, where we're also uh, situated, well, why not Europe? And the very interesting thing, which is what I, I find very kind of exciting and appealing and, and international about Salt and Light is that even though for right now, we've, we've kind of suspended the Italian broadcasting, it doesn't mean it's not coming back. So currently we, we only communicate in four languages rather than five, and we're looking to six. So when we bring Italian back and we add Spanish as we move into the US, we'll add it to English and French because those are the two official languages of Canada. And I don't know if people would be surprised to, to hear that we communicate also in Cantonese and Mandarin. Oh. And so if, okay, so I have all kinds of money to make things possible. So we have bargaining power and we have a view then that's going to change because we have the financial resources. So then what does that mean in the United States as we set up there? Does that mean that we put a, product, a production crew there? It probably would, you know, depending on many factors and have someone there opening the office, running the office from there. We're, I'm already communicating with the uh, the curia in Rome, the general curia, and Father John Dardis, who is the director of communications and one of Father General's consultants. He and I have had, uh, and with uh, Gita Hosek, who is the director of production and programming, uh, she and he and I have chatted it up and, and um, they've opened the doors to us. Same with the provincial in Britain. Uh, in London, we said, you know, is there a possibility for us to collaborate? They said, absolutely. So what's happening now because of COVID and prudence, we're each trying to figure out what materials we can share. How can this happen? What can we do gradually so that we all can adjust to, to new scenarios? And so the boldness, I'd say, see what we can do in Taiwan and in Hong Kong. Absolutely. And for the Chinese, anywhere. Then perhaps there's uh, another piece that can be done to gradually bring in, at least to some degree, Italian. Um, there's a possibility that we would maybe even open an office in Rome that's in the works at the moment. And so there, if we have someone there, that content is coming to us all the time. Taiwan, Hong Kong. Uh, so you see, it's like the idea is to really be a good, strong, balanced Catholic voice in the world through media. So that's the big, bold plan. You got, me you got me excited. I'm pumped up here. Great. I'm, ready to go. I'm excited to see uh, what you all are, are, are going to do. Great. Well, if you have any donors who have, you know, so <laughs> I remember that's where it starts. <laughs> I do work for the church, so I'm not going to be of major help to you. Um, but uh, yes. Yeah. But you, like, it's your friends I'm interested in. I know how much you make. <laughs> no, I'm right, kidding. Right. I'm joking. <laughs> You're right. My Sorry, business yeah. pals. No, that's very exciting. Yeah. So Father Alan Fogarty, thank you so much for sharing some of that vision and your energy. Um, really excited again, as I said, to, to see what unfolds and to be along for that ride. Uh, and we'll be happy to share some of the links in the, the show notes with folks so they can go check you all out uh, on the internet for sure. And uh, yeah, uh, just prayers for you and your, your ministry. And, and again, thanks so much for what you're doing. 
Well, thank you, Mike. I really appreciate this moment where we can uh, talk together to get to know each other because I, I haven't met you up to now and uh, just very excited to do that. And we're in the same sort of field. And uh, just to say, you know, that uh, I appreciate your prayers and you have ours and um, for us to move prayerfully and in a discerned way forward, I think is, is just very exciting to engage the church in the world today, to be that voice for for God. AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States. And when we're not working from home, the show is recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. AMDG is edited by Marcus Bleach, and our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Marcus Bleach, Eric Clayton, Megan Leach, Becky Sindelar, and me. Connect with the Jesuits online at jesuits.org, on Twitter at Jesuit News, Instagram at We Are the Jesuits, and Facebook.com slash Jesuits. Sign up for weekly email reflections by visiting jesuits.org weekly. If you or someone you know might be called to discern a vocation to the Jesuits, connect with the Jesuit vocation promoter at beajesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at jesuits.org. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire.